Hi, this is Adina from the Big Sci-Fi Podcast, and you're listening to Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to Star Trek, the Undiscovered Podcast. And today, we're yet again going to diverge from our basic premise in which it's not just for Trekfest anymore. Today, we're going to discuss other sci-fi properties that have happened to capture our hearts. And tonight, we have yet again a fantastic panel of one of our wo- most wonderful members, Mr. Sean Faustian Bargain Faust. Sean, how are you? Hey, it's great to be here. We are all Faustians now. Um, we are practicing Faustianity. How are you? I'm I'm doing well, and now I feel I've made some kind of deal I'm uncomfortable with. That's all right. Don't worry about it. Just don't even think about it. <laughs> well, I didn't, and that's why I did what I did. I'm embarrassed. Anyway. Uh, on to our next, Mr. Dan Hulley. Dan, how you doing? Doing well, huh? Happy to, uh, be making another appearance after uh, an absence. <laughs> Always great to have you back. Always look forward to having you again. And I did not mean that in any weird way. Not at all. In any way, shape, or form. It, it's okay to be weird. We're all friends here. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess if we weren't weird, we wouldn't be doing this. Moving on next. Our lovely and quite, quite full of charisma benefactor, Greg Varab. Greg? What what the audience didn't know was that I made a whole introduction. I made fun of everybody. I said some very, very cruel things. But now it's it's unmuted. I was muted, and now I'm unmuted. I, I, I'm here to hang with this wonderful panel, and I'm here because Sean is back, and Sean... I make no secret that Sean was in our number one show. He, he was the guest in our current number one show. And I, I came also to say to Holly, look who came crawling back. I just, I just can't stay away forever. So yeah. Ouch. Moving on next, our quite fantastic producer, director, editor, the most technically minded and fantastic person out of everybody here who I always love hearing from, DJ Nick. Come on in. Hey, guys. Super happy to be back and, you know, on the mic again. Uh, Really appreciate you guys having me on. I think we should schedule Star Trek episodes every time the Inter plays because it seems that whenever Inter plays and then there's a Star Trek episode, we end up winning. So I might have to have a chat with Greg about scheduling episodes because this could be the start of something great. So, you know, I think we're going to start making ourselves a good luck charm for here's hoping. And hey, you know, and I I think everybody should start betting money on this in the form of donations to Star Trek, the Undiscovered podcast. Thank you, everybody. Okay, so tonight we're we're going to go down a rabbit hole that could literally go for days on end of discussing. And we're going to bring up some sci fi properties that we really enjoy. Everybody's chosen just a couple to keep it brief. And we'll do, you know, a nice little free form discussion about them and 
you know, it's always fun. A lot of us, you know, as it goes, being with Star Trek, you just tend to be a fan of where science fiction can take us. And there's certain aspects of what science fiction can do for us and what it can give us in, in a sense, uh, at the most optimistic, it can give us hope. At the most technical, it can give us, hey, look where we might go as a species or as a society. And at its worst, it can say, look what it being out of control can bring us. To. So we're going to go around bit by bit. I, I just want to quickly ask everybody, what about science fiction is something that kind of initially drew you to it? And I want to begin with Sean. I really don't remember. I saw Star Wars in the theater, and then I saw Star Wars in the theater. And then after that, I saw a movie at the drive through theater. It was Star Wars. And then at some point on TV, there was the Black Hole. There was Battle Beyond the Stars. And um, eventually, HBO got this movie called Star Wars. So I, I think I've just, you know, always been drawn to it. Or like even like I had the record which was the story of Tron before I even saw Tron because I thought it looked cool. So I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm that guy that just got drawn to stuff like that. Because you mentioned the forbidden wars, you will forever be banned. So thank you very much. You've well, that's cool. Fate. That's fine. You know, and I can live and with that. your, your failure is complete. So I did for, for uh, anybody out there. I say, see, no, you see what no, I did there. no, 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 no. <laughs> okay. Um, let's, move on mr holly what was just your you know your overview of what what kind of attracted to you to science fiction as a youngin uh i mean science fiction's just been something that has been in my wheelhouse as long as well i can remember i mean from anything from being drawn to the idea of you know piloting a, a starship or or a starfighter or whatever you want to do i mean watching you know, of course, Star Trek with uh, my older brother is probably the main influence of my sci-fi fandom. But I mean, we'd watch that and reruns of Space 1999 and uh, reruns of the original Battlestar Galactica and, you know, all that stuff. And it, it always the the idea of, um, you know, initially the idea of the you know as i said of being in space of surviving in space whether it's you know whether it's something safe and sound like on a starship well technically safe and sound but or or if it's something you know on the brink of you know just surviving it's always it's always fascinated me the stories that can come from you know both of those things and and you know and either triumphs or failures or you know anything and it all comes down to you know, humanity, even in the future, but what that future may bring can be, you know, can be bright, can be, you know, dystopian, can be, and, you know, just a look into what might be, I guess, is probably the best way to put it. All right. Fantastic. Um, so, Greg, what what's your, you know, your attraction to the genre of science fiction? Well, I would have to credit, I mean, I would have to credit, uh, Star Wars, all kidding aside, for bringing me into the interest in films and, you know, TV that was from outer space. If I were to put Star Trek aside for one second, there was also, uh, 
two very special television shows that I would wake up Sunday mornings at four to see. And that was uh, Terror Hawks, and, uh, which was a science fiction with marionettes, but literal science fiction. And then the other one, uh, which I'm embarrassing myself by not remembering, Thunderbirds. Uh, so Terrorhawks and Thunderbirds would be on like Pix 11, I think at, uh, like five in the morning, but I'd wake up at four to see it. And so that was big Star Trek, of course, a part of my life introduced by my family and Star Wars was really okay. This takes place in outer space, but this is a fantasy. Whereas Star Trek with the scientific end of things and showing what humanity could become, that's, you know, and only by working together could the best of humanity fight the worst of humanity. And as I just said, even though the metaphor is that they're, is that they're fighting aliens or something to that effect in sci-fi, it's the worst of humanity and coming together. So I think there's this theme of coming together. I think sci-fi at its best. Um, I mean, at, I mean, at its worst, it's hilarious. You know, you look at something like plan nine from outer space or, uh, you know, something, you know, Peruvian women from Mars, you know, things like that. Uh, it's hysterically funny, but also entertaining. But, you know, if you look at sci-fi at its best, you'll get something like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which is so cerebral compared to other sci-fi, but it's the 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 messages and the morals and all that stuff and coming together and what sci-fi's underlying messages are, are always spoke to me. But as you're all going to find, uh, I would say off the bat, a lot of the times I would feel like I was cheating on Star Trek watching other sci-fi. That's cheating on star trek quite an intense relationship um you know let me move move it over to dj nick i i i'm interested in seeing what your relationship is and what your first exposure to sci-fi might have been i have my guess and i'm very anxious to see if i'm right well it's interesting because the relationship that that i have had with sci-fi i think is a complicated one in the sense that Greg knows this. I'm very, very picky now as a 41-year-old man when it comes to sci-fi. But as a kid growing up, I didn't really get much exposure until the Filmation animated series Brave Star came on. And that was something that really, really sort of, sort of spoke to me. And it's interesting that you have that merging of cowboys and, uh, and, and space people. Because, of course, cowboys and, 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 and outer space have always kind of been head butting heads for the longest time. We saw this with Toy Story as well. Won't go down that rabbit hole, but that kind of merged it for me. And I loved Brave Star with a passion. After that, something that really spoke to me was, um, uh, Captain Scarlet. I loved Captain Scarlet so much. And of course, there you have a sci-fi element with the Mr. Ons and the fact, of course, what's the superhero element? Cause I was more of ever always a superhero guy as a kid growing up. And so that kind of merged it for me. And then growing up, you know, uh, at summer camp, I was introduced to the likes of the Alien franchise and the Terminator franchise. And of course, later on in life, that gem of BBC goodness, which is, of course, Doctor Who. And that is really my sci-fi at the end of the day, because uh, as I said, I I tend to not watch too much sci-fi. But I guess as a child, it, it was uh, it was definitely Brave Star and Captain Scarlet. I I really didn't think brave star was going to come into this 
This was I completely unprepared for it, and I watched Brave Star every afternoon. I believe it, I I'm gonna have to check, but I think Brave Star was part of that same group that did He Man and that did Silver Hawks, and uh, that it, it was all part of that. I mean, it, it was it was all, all part, part of the filmation same... family. Yes, yeah, it was that. It it was like those like that early '80s Halcyon days of you know all these. Uh, you know, sci-fi cartoons that really didn't make a whole lot of sense, but everybody was like super jacked and had really cool guns and yay space. So, you know, I mean, that was, that was always a lot of fun. I mean, I have such fun memories. I mean, Silverhawks was always one of my favorites and I wish that they could do it in a way that wasn't totally stupid which you know makes me believe there was another show called Galaxy Rangers that kind of fed off that Silverhawks kind of idea but it was a little less dumb but now we're getting over to animation which is like you know that could be 15 shows in and of itself so now what i want to do is i want to go over to everybody and i want to go one by one and i want you guys will do one at a time to introduce a specific property that you've chosen that you want us to discuss and we'll have a little bit of a, uh, you know, we'll obviously, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it and we'll look at different aspects of it. So I want to first start off with Dan and what's one of the properties that you want to introduce to the discussion? Um, I mean, there's, there's so many to choose from and I know, I know I don't want to step on anybody's toes because I know what everybody else wants to do. So I'm going to go with, uh, uh, one of my favorites, um, and just great television as weird as it gets is the, the remake of Battlestar Galactica. I, I um, I mean, uh, you know, the pilot episode, not the miniseries, which the miniseries is fantastic, but the pilot episode 33, um, is just, just a fantastic piece of television. Um, the drama, the buildup, the, the tension that they build in it, um, the, the, you know, the casting of, you know, some, gender bent roles from the original, which I know initially set some people off, but I mean, Katie Sackhoff as Starbuck. I mean, come on. I mean, how, how fantastic is she? And then Edward James almost who, you know, I mean, I I don't know what else more I can say other than, you know, so say we all, you know, no, that's fantastic. And, and you know, what I found the other day, I think that um, Edward James almost was actually in the running to be, captain picard at one point i believe i know that i think he had i read some, that somewhere yeah he had some kind of thing and he gave it up because he was just such a big star um a little bit before that happened that he just didn't even want to waste his time with it and then once he saw how big next generation became and then they gave him the opportunity for Battlestar galactica he just jumped at it now i have to admit i'm fully guilty at this I watched the beginning of Battlestar Galactica, the the new one, the initial Battlestar Galactica. At that time, I mean, it was like Buck Rogers and Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. Those two shows, I couldn't stop watching all of them. My biggest enjoyment out of the original Battlestar Galactica was how um, all the old legends and religions of Earth all came from this these original tribes i think they called them tribes of interstellar beings influencing you know different uh civilizations throughout the galaxies and i always found that incredibly interesting and 
when I watched the new series, it was also really great. But I, I think I remember there was one episode right in the beginning that it's not necessarily turned me off, but it scared me away when uh, there was that. And again, you're going to have to forgive my ignorance. That one, the blonde woman in the red dress, who was, I think she was kind of like the leader of the Cylons in a way. She was like one of the first Cylons. Yep. She comes to Earth. She's looking around at everybody. She sees a baby in a baby carriage, right? I don't know if you know the scene I'm talking about. Yep, I know that. I know the exact scene you're talking about. All right. It just, I just, I got so disturbed by that sequence. I was like, all right, I, I get it, but I, I think I'm going to give this a rest for a while. It, it it really sets off to the Cylons inhumanity is is the best way to put it, and uh, yeah, it, it definitely sets a precedent for the entire series for at least that particular Cylon. Um, they're they're you know it's a little different through their you know all twelve or thirteen. I can't remember how many they are. It's been a while, <laughs> but through each iteration of the Cylons, they're they're a little different. But it's um yeah it it there, there's definitely some crazy moments and it does get a little off the rails towards the end but it's it, it's so worth watching and you know if you like that kind of hard science fiction i i really would recommend powering through and watching more of it okay uh that's you know fantastic i just again i have to admit my guilt in that i started up in the beginning and i was watching it and i got distracted with other things and then just seeing the steamroller that that series has become and there's there's so much content in there and it's obviously so well done i have a lot of homework to do i want to open it up i just want to generally does anybody else have anything that they want to bring into this series because i know we all discussed before we all have different kind of iterations of what we know about and there's certain properties where less familiar with the other. So I want to turn it over to Greg because I know he, he's got a certain something to contribute. The only thing I was going to say, yeah, the only thing I was going to say about Battlestar and my apologies to the listeners. If I sound different right now, I did have to put on noise cancellation, Bluetooth. Sorry for everybody. I remembered why I, I used them in the first place and I'll leave it at that. But anyway, no Battlestar Galactica. The remake is a show that I know I've never gotten to it. It's a show I know that I'm, I would enjoy, especially Ronald D. Moore is that showrunner, is he not? Yes, I mean, absolutely. Man, I was about to bring that up. Yeah, no, he's behind some of the best episodes of TNG and, of course, DS9 and, of course, um, uh, uh, you know, Star Trek First Contact. Need I say more? You know, he, he co-wrote Star Trek First Contact. And, you know, if you would have asked him, he was the brains uh, behind the good stuff because he and Brandon Braga have, of course, since had a falling out. But one of my properties is a written with Brandon Braga. Um, but I, I will get to that next. So I, it is something that has been in my radar. The original Battlestar Galactica, Ken, had a scene for me like that. They were in a version. This is the original with, uh, Lauren Green. They were in the, uh, they were in the, uh, the cantina, their cantina, uh, a Battlestar cantina. And there were these weird aliens dancing on stage. And that was it. I never wanted to, uh, be a part. Uh, I never wanted to see anything to do with Battlestar Galactic again. Okay. A show that I'm going to bring up. If Alf doesn't count, I'm going to bring up Red Dwarf. And the thing about Red Dwarf is that it came from the BBC as Doctor Who did. And it started out 
as I mean, it had sci-fi aspects to it, but it, it's first of all, it's got a huge cult following, and for a Brit com, really, it also has, I think, at this point, with with they're never like ending it; they're always thinking of ways to to keep it coming back. I believe it has twelve series, as they call it, over at the BBC, and that for some, you know, for you know, for the BBC, that is incredible to have twelve series. I mean, it has like close to a hundred episodes for some things like, you know, the young ones for God's sakes is 14 episodes, you know? So this was a major popular show in England that came over here in the late eighties, early nineties. I mean, it started in the late eighties there, but we got it later. It started on, uh, on PBS and it just blew my mind because they were able to make it a comedy just as much a sci-fi as it was a comedy. So it's the odd couple in space, essentially, with the last human being alive, Dave Lister. And, geez, I mean, it was always one thing when I found a fellow Star Trek fan, but when you find a fellow Smeghead, which is what the Red Dwarfs fan call themselves, that's uh, even more of a major thing and a bonding thing between two people. So Dave Lister is the last human being alive, um, he, uh, I, you know, without, I, I really urge people to listen, you know, to, to watch Red Dwarf, but, uh, Dave Lister in, uh, in something like the 20, might be around the same time as, as Star Trek, I don't recall, in the 24th to 27th century or something, he's on a mining ship called Red Dwarf, he is the last person on the ship, he is the final ranking, second technician. So first technician and second technician are the lowest ranking members of the ship. And he, his roommate is first technician, Arnold Rimmer. And the two of them, to call them the odd couple is actually, you know, Oscar and Felix were at least friends. These guys were not friends in any means. So due to a series of, of, uh, sort of punishments for, for, for punishment, Dave Lister had to be put in suspended animation. He did it, in fact, to save a cat. Um, and he had to be put into suspended animation. And there was a radiation leak while he was in suspended animation. And the computer, the ship's computer, Holly, had to thaw him out when the radiation was clear, which happened in three million years. So he comes out three million years later. The entire crew was wiped out by the... Uh, by the radiation, and all that's on board is an absent-minded Holly. The ship's been going, like, in circles for three million years, and in order to keep him sane, Holly gives him a hologram of Arnold Rimmer, his dead bunkmate, who is now a hologram and dead. He just he has all of Rimmer's memories, but he's a hologram. So there's that odd couple situation going on. Also on the ship, besides absent-minded Holly is a creature that instead of evolving from apes evolved from that cat. So now you have cats. So you have a Lister, Rimmer, cat, and you have Holly in the first series. And it's pretty much the same. The first two series, more of a sitcom that brings it. I mean, I know it's probably ringing some bells, a sitcom that becomes a sci-fi drama. We just had it here with the Orville, which is coming up, I would assume. Uh, but so it's mostly a sitcom. Eventually, they get an android named Crichton, who is a, a major uh, highlight of the show. He joins the crew in series three. And from then on, it, it's very funny. 
but at the same time, it remains very funny and now gives you uh, a great mix of sci-fi and comedy. Whereas the Orville, you know, became straight up sci-fi drama. Red Dwarf did as well, but never not being hysterical as well. And that is the BBC's Red Dwarf. And I highly recommend that if, if one has never heard of it, to check it out. I, I'm sure you could find it on BritBox or something. Um, and it is extremely popular with a major cult following. So that is Red Dwarf. So I guess we now ask if anyone else knows Red Dwarf. All right. So my experience w- with Red Dwarf was, so it was my beginning college years. I had a really, really crap black and white TV. For any of you that know what a black and white TV actually is. And so Channel 13, PBS, was a station that would broadcast TV shows from other countries. And me just scanning around for, you know, stuff that I want to look at. You know, Red Dwarf, they started playing Red Dwarf. And at that point, because, like you mentioned, the young ones had been played on MTV while I was still in high school before I left to college. And then I, you know, and I was always a Monty Python fan. So I was a fan of English television to whatever degree that would denote the quality of English television that was shown here in the States. I saw Red Dwarf and I said, oh, look, it's it's English. It's some version of comedy and it's science fiction. All right, I'll, you know, I'll give it a go. And, you know, I thought it was, it had very much, as far as I was concerned, that was um, common to British science fiction TV shows of the time, where they obviously spent some money on the sets and special effects, but, you know, nothing incredible. But the writing was, I mean, for, you know, as a, you know, 18, 19 year old kid who liked silly comedy was actually you know, was, was pretty funny. And then, and And, you're going off. I mean, and I mean, there was this show I used to watch on Nickelodeon when I was like 14 or 15 called the tomorrow people. And I had already seen Dr. Who for a while. So, you know, it fit right in there and I loved it. I thought Lister was great because he was, you know, this, you know, iconoclast kind of, you know, punk rocker kind of guy. And, you know, he was, you know, like deferential, you know, or undeferential to everybody and, you know, against authority. And, you know, then you had Cat that was obviously, you know, stealing off of James Brown a lot. And then, you know, you had, you know, um, you had Holly just being, you know, almost if, if I could attribute it to the young ones, Holly was kind of like your Neil kind of guy, kind of like your generic, almost just you know, just kind of explaining the things that were going on. Yeah, I like that comparison. You know, and, and and then yeah. Lister was the straight man that everybody liked to make fun of. I mean, not, yeah. not, um, no, did well, I, I know, Rimmer, a, Rimmer, Rimmer. Yeah, right. Rimmer. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, Rimmer was like, and, a and it, you, you made me think of something with how existential the show got at times because a lot of them, it was just them in their bedroom just talking. And I'm like, wow, this is three million years in the future. Lister's the only human left. Rimmer's a hologram, but whatever. And it's just two guys. It was a great character study as well. And great way and to I love part of the idea that they brought into it of kind of um, how pointless 
everything they were doing because I was very much a fan of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy of that time. And just the opening sequence to show what you assume was Lister on the outside of the hull of the Red Dwarf, just painting it red, and then the far shot of the Red Dwarf, which is obviously miles long. And he's, you know, again, obviously been spending years painting it for literally no reason. It it just, it, it really goes to that whole, you know, aspect of just like, you know, cosmic uh yeah. you know uh thing it just meaning nothing I, i'm i'm struggling for what irrelevant yeah. cosmic irrelevant just mm-hmm. the idea of things meaning nothing but you're just going to persevere anyway cuz you know that's what it is but it's 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 definitely worth a watch at least the first few seasons i know as it got on they tacked on a lot of stuff yes but you know but the beginning is fantastic um, so I'm gonna move us on now, DJ Nick. Why don't you introduce us to one of the gems you have in store? Okay. Well, I think before I go, um, I guess as we are on the British side of things, I will introduce, as I mentioned before, that gem of BBC goodness that is Doctor Who. And my oh my, is it a gem? Because, um, funnily enough, I came into Doctor Who relatively late in the sense that, um, we didn't really get to see it over here in Italy for the longest time. And then Netflix brought it on, but they started with Matt Smith's run, The Eleventh Doctor. And so I started, and uh, this friend of mine who never watched Doctor Who, but is like a walking Wikipedia of everything. Like the guy literally knows everything. And I was asking about this Doctor Who show, and he gave me the premise. And so I, I'm like, okay, it's on Netflix. Let's start it. And it didn't even start at the beginning. We literally start with Matt Smith. And I fell madly in love with the concept. And, uh, so I watched, uh, watched the, 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 the first, the, the Smith run all the way through. Like, okay, I want to know more. So I let, literally went on a Doctor Who marathon to where I went all the way back to the first Doctor and literally made my way through up until at the time it was Jodie Whittaker, who was uh, the 13th Doctor at the time. And so I was current and then. Moved on from there. What I love so much about Doctor Who is that it's so relatable on so many levels. I mean, art is incredibly subjective, as we know, be it a TV show, be it a movie, be it a painting, you name it. But there was so much that spoke to me when it came to Doctor Who in the sense that, and I will say, I came at this, funnily enough, from the Jewish experience. No surprise, Doctor Who was created by two Jews. And you can clearly see it throughout the, the, the course of it because There is the Jewish mission is tikkun olam, which means make the world a better place. And what does the doctor do? He literally attempts to make the world, dare I say, the universe, a better place by being in it. And some people even say, is it granted it's a police box, the TARDIS? But some say, is it a coincidence that the colors are uh, blue and white, the, the flag of Israel and what have you? That might be stretching it a little but the Daleks, definitely Nazis. And so in the concept of exterminate, 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 in these troubling times we're living in, it's even more relevant. Sadly, we have too many Daleks running around and not necessarily encased form, but literally walking on two legs. But that aside, um, I really related to it from that perspective of the guiding, the, the guide that will take you on all sorts of adventures and you meet all sorts of cultures and what have you. And it, it was beautiful and And it's still great to this day 
now that uh, Russell T Davies is back with a new doctor, of course, played splendidly, and you know, we still have to see him do more by Shuti Gatwa. I am. I absolutely love this show because, as I said, because she speaks to you. The the special effects way back when may not have been great, but what sticks with you are the stories. And I think a good example of a show, regardless of the genre, if the story is good, you can forgive the bad special effects because at the time the BBC's budget not being incredibly florid, they had to make do. Now they've got Disney money. It certainly shows. Now that Disney is literally distributing Doctor Who. The, the, the special effects really shine. But I was never in there for the special effects. I was there for the stories. I was there to, you know, kind of ooh and ah at wherever we were going. And of course, I guess to certain extent, almost fall in love with the villains. I mean, aside from the Daleks, the Cybermen, who of course, and I'm going to say this and the Trekkies will come at me. They came before the Borg did. I'm just going to say that. But other than that, um, I, I just, I just love the concept so much and the actors they got to play the various doctors and of course, uh, the companions. Stellar casting. Funnily enough, um, my cousin was actually approached to be in a, in a Doctor Who episode, but she turned it down because she didn't seem like it was her, the thing that she wanted to do. But, but I, I just, I just love it. No matter what doctor it is, I, I just love it. People often ask me, who is your favorite doctor? And, and sometimes I guess maybe it's too diplomatic on my part saying almost, I don't have a favorite doctor because I love, I love him or her or they. In, in any incarnation, because it's just the concept of the character that I love so much. And, uh, and yeah, so, uh, so that's how I feel. And, uh, and just, just spreading some Whovian goodness on today's podcast. All right. So on my end, so I, I find, and it's probably true as many other things with this. And the great thing about Doctor Who is because they change the main character, which, you know, they, they, use that changing concept of, you know, regeneration to, you know, constantly get new characters in is that usually your favorite doctor is going to be either the one you started off with or the one that came in closely after you started. So I was always a big Tom Baker fan because around the time it came over, I, Tom Baker was the guy that was on at that time. I, I got to see about, I think about three or four doctors during the time. And again, all thanks to BBC and PBS, public broadcasting station, Channel 13, because they showed so much British TV. As a matter of fact, my first exposure to Patrick Stewart was through I Claudius, which was a show that was shown on PBS. And, uh, but Tom Baker was my favorite jo- doctor just because, and, you know, it's like now that I think of what I'm going to say, it sounds stupid to say it, but Tom Baker, he was just so eccentric. But OK, name the first characteristic of the doctor. So, you know, they were all like that. But I just I loved how he was and he had that really sinister grin about him. And you got to love the scarf because like he like that was. He used that thing for everything. I mean, I remember this one episode. He was like in a fall into like some kind of collapsing landscape and he uses it as a grappling hook. And it it was just always, you know, this fantastic thing that he had. And he was and same thing you got to say is always he's always so irreverent. Okay, name another characteristic that every doctor has had. But he he just seemed to have just like a a really good uh, personification 
of how they wanted the doctor to be. And I always loved him in that role. And the other doctors that came on, that's why some of them sort of felt a little flat to me because they weren't as, you know, I don't want to say over the top, but they weren't as aggressive in characterization as he sometimes would be. I think that his, you know, acting and personification in that role was really, really great. Mm. And that's why some of the later doctors I liked a lot better because I think they had that same kind of aspect to them. And the thing that's because it was such a long running series. I mean, it, I mean, did it, uh, Nick, it's currently, it's currently the, the, the longest running show in BBC history. I mean, one of the first series, like, didn't it start in the early sixties? It's, it, the, funny enough, the, it was the first episode on an earthly child was supposed to premiere on the day that Kennedy was assassinated. That's how far back it goes. They had to postpone it because all the media was about understandably president Kennedy being killed and it aired the next day. You know, and one of the things that's amazing that with, you know, only a handful of these series that we may discuss is that the first, I think it might've been the first couple of seasons were in black and white. Correct. Like they, yeah, it wasn't even filmed in color. So now we're really dating as to how far back it went. And it, it, it's just really great that it's just it's managed to maintain and reinvent itself, which obviously with the whole regeneration aspect, it lends itself to being reinvented every so often. Sure. But it's fantastic. I'm actually I, amazed at this point they haven't tried to make it into a, f- a feature film yet. So, well, they did when they tried to when they tr- when the first attempt to introduce Doctor Who to the States, they did that, dare I say, it, rather cringy Doctor Who movie which was kind of bad um, as much as I love Doctor Who, where they tried to explain the Sylvester McCoy, Paul McGann regeneration. Cause that's where Paul McGann was introduced as the eighth doctor. He only got that one time, that one movie, which was the American, the, the trying to ex- export Doctor Who to the American market fully when they were trying to come back with Doctor Who. And so they gave, they gave, they, they gave us Paul McGann and sadly he never got to do anything on screen as a doctor and he's a fabulous doctor but that's when big finish came on which is all the audio stories with paul mcgann and that's and that's how it was introduced to the to the the market and the what you were mentioning ken about some doctors maybe feeling flat or different i think the beauty of doctor who it kind of reminds me of inside out if you will the pixar movie where a certain emotion will take control at a certain point and I think the various regenerations almost embody a different emotion of the same person. As in, one will be more playful and happy, one will be more irreverent, one will be more angry and stern. So it almost like runs the gamut of the human emotions. Case in point, the fact that we got a first female doctor, which some people got bent out of shape for, I'll never understand why, but whatever. It's the fact that one could almost see it as the doctor being more in touch with his feminine side and not having a gender. You know, and that's the that's what I think if people you can read it that way is the doctor is a universal character. They have no gender. They literally in personify an emotion. No, and just the the aspect that, you know, their race are time lords. They just they transcend certain things that, you know, races that are very much locked in the very limited time that they exist have to embrace and it's really just all these concepts they can bring. And, and it's just 
I mean, it, it really speaks to the genius of the writers that they can take this specific concept and then just bring it out into so many different aspects to make it last for so many decades is just I, so, you know, actually apropos to the same concept of Star Trek that you can take this, you know, kernel of a, 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 a not, not a theory, but a kernel of a property and just extend it to mean so many things. Because really, it has such a specific, deeper meaning to the actual experience, you know, of, of technically of being alive and all the things that could bring. And I just I want to throw it over to Greg real quick because he has an aspect he wanted to bring up. Yes. Well, you know, of course, Doctor Who predated uh, a lot of Star Trek. And of course, there's that similarities people talk about with uh, with the Cybermen and the Borg. And there are the people who love to have arguments and say that Star Trek copied of the, the Borg. Um, but there are others who say, oh, it's just, you know, it's sci-fi. It's two things that have similarities, and, and it's a great similarity. The old, One other thing I wanted to say about Doctor Who was I told this to DJ Nick, and DJ Nick, you know, it's our, just like if you look at every Star Trek episode of all the series, it's hard to find one. I saw an episode of Doctor Who. I saw one episode of Doctor Who. I was using the computer one night and uh, the TV was just kind of on in the background and BBC America was on and I caught a Doctor Who and I literally, my jaw dropped. It was just amazing. The story was amazing and it was chilling and it was exciting and it was I'm like, wow, this is Doctor Who. But, you know, so, so much art and so little time, I've never gotten uh, the time, energy or resources, if you will, since then to check out Doctor Who from the very, very beginning. But I do know converts of Doctor Who. I know people that are big Trek fans who caught Doctor Who, and it's like, well, if you like Star Trek, you'll like Doctor Who. Also, there's vice versa. Nick, hint, hint. But, you know, it, it, it is something that I, I very much respect. Um, and, uh, yeah, that one episode, it blew my mind. There was no way to find that episode, though. Absolutely no way to figure out which episode it was. All right. I mean, we could not only could we talk about Doctor Who for hours, but I'm sure there's a million and a half Doctor Who podcasts that could go on for decades. It's just it's such an expansive series and it's going to be a severe injustice for us just to mention it here. But I mean, it's it's definitely worth anyone to check it out because it's one of those situations where you could literally find anything you're looking for within that series. It's great. They do comedy. They do horror. They do specific science fiction. They do fantasy science fiction. It just lends itself to everything. And it's it's really just done so well. Um, but now I want to throw it over to Sean. What is your sci-fi property you want to talk about? Well, before I get to that, I just looked up this um, Doctor Who movie. And just the cast alone, uh, as bad as Nick says it is, Eric Roberts and Will Sasso... Why wouldn't I watch that? That could be that could be the kind of train wreck that I enjoy watching at times. Uh, Nick, is it worth me? You know what? It's worth it for Paul McGann more than anything else. The problem is it's one of those cases where excellent casting, but but, but they were let down by the by the writers. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, then I want to talk about and I'm going to be really specific here. The 1983 miniseries to the 1984 TV series V. 
what happened in 2009 is a fever dream. It didn't happen. We just watched it because we were like, oh, wow, Inara and Wash. That's cool. But then they, we just found out that they were lizards and who gave a shit at that point. Um, yeah. So that, that pipe dream that ended up having to get a character or an actor to play a character of the same name in 2010 just to get viewers to stay tuned. Yeah. And then it ends on this cliffhanger of Lars Tremont. Fever Dream. 100% Fever Dream. But the 1983 miniseries, inspired by the book It Can't Happen Here, of V. The awesome, awesome, probably to this day still my favorite television miniseries. Uh, or network television miniseries. Uh, v. It was just so... You watch V... And I'll just do a quick rundown of V to the final battle to the TV series. So there's this V two-part miniseries that's just goddamn awesome. Every single moment, is just, you're just like, oh, that's great. And I can remember everybody talking about that first first part when it dropped. The next day, like, oh, my God, they're lizards? What's going on here? What are they going to do? And then people were kind of bummed that it didn't resolve. But those first two parts are just perfect. There's that mirror scene where it starts off with these like guerrilla fighters in um, South America. And then like the next part, like Julie realizing that she's that like she's this leader and pretty much mirrors that opening scene. It's so good. And then you get to the final battle where it's not as tight. It's not as focused on the fear mongering, I guess we'll call it the the takeover of Earth. The first part was, which was really good. It was dark. And then it kind of became like a little on the cheesy side, but it introduced one of television's greatest characters, one Mr. Ham Tyler, played by the great Michael Ironside. And, the, you know, those second and third episodes were, or second and third parts were good. They, they, were, they weren't great, but they were good. They were not up to par with the original miniseries. And then you get the weekly series, where by the time you get halfway through it, even the actors are checked out. They're just like... I can't get out of my contract. Can you please kill my character, please? And it, uh, each episode is just surprisingly, yet unsurprisingly, worse than the week before. Nobody tries. That final episode, people just showed up on set. You see, you see the light guy moving around. It's just bad. But the, the, it's, I still love it. I just watched it today. And I loved every second of it. I watched the final episode of the original series and it was, it was just so bad in such a great way. But now I'm just going to have to go back and watch the original miniseries. I think I'm just going to keep rambling about V, the original miniseries and how it just took over pop culture in 1983. And then it was like one of the biggest sequels for television ever in 1984 with the final battle. Ken, what do you think? Oh. Oh, you're going to you're going to throw it back on me like that. Well, I you know, so I don't know how many of you here can claim the same thing, but I actually watched this first run when it was on TV. So, I mean, yeah, same. OK, I, I don't know. Yeah. OK, good. So I, I'm not as ancient, most ancient. One. Come on, everybody. But when we were kids, everybody had that gang and we called ourselves the Wildcats. You know it. I know it. <laughs> everybody knows it. But, but it was, that was, V was, I mean, V was a, a, a big deal for people that were into sci-fi at that time. It was, I mean, that, that was like, 
you know, when you would sit around and watch whatever channel four, channel seven, and wait for that big thing to go across the screen and turn around and it said special and it would turn around and it had that theme music and you're like, all right, this is, I sat here all night just to watch this. And a year ago, so the visitors po- came. Sorry. <laughs> right. It's like, I have so many points I want to bring up, but just, you know, you know, I'm moderating. I want everybody else to bring up their points first because I know a lot of them are common and I'm going to, if you give me a chance, I'm just going to just mow over everybody's points that gonna, they're going to bring up. So I want to, I want to throw it over to Greg first and I want him to uh, go ahead and bring up the points he has to say. Greg. V was event television and I was four in 1983 and I watched it. And the proof there is what it, uh, the, the listeners didn't see, but I went to my closet to see if I could see my V doll. And I, I, it's somewhere, but the problem is, okay, so the V dolls, these things were, were lizard people disguised as humans. And, but, but that in and of itself, I should say is, of course, that metaphor for the lizards and the, you know, the reptilian conspiracies and stuff. And also, you look very closely at their red uniforms with the black thing there. What does that look like? Thank you. But so I was so into V, um, that uh, I I got a doll and they were about the size of Ken dolls and it had the creepy uh, human face that you take off it was rubber and you take it off and it's a lizard. I brought that toy in for show and tell and killed it because I, I remember what I said too. Um, I said um, so. Uh, now there was one kid who knew V. I felt so special that I knew V, and then there was other kid. He goes, oh, my God, you have a action figure? I go, yeah, I sure the hell do, you know. And I started by saying, this is a man. And everybody was like, okay. And then the kid who knew V is on the chuckling. (laughs) And I'm like, so this is a man. But it is not an ordinary man. And I took it off and then showed the lizard, and there was the thing the lever that you could pull where the lizard sticks out his tongue. And, you know, I could hear all the girls go, what is this? I go, if anybody sees the TV show, V, you know what this is. And this is, you know, and I just, I just killed it. I killed it that day. And, um, I, I loved V, Diana. I, I was a little kid. She did things to me. And it was just, I, I remember even the birth of Robin's baby. Elizabeth. You know, it was just, yeah, yeah, Elizabeth. Wasn't who wasn't Robin a character? No, her daughter. Yeah, yeah. Robin's daughter is Elizabeth. Right. Who had the baby? The lizard. Robin. Baby. Robin. Right. I said the birth right. of Robin's yeah. baby. Right. Yeah. Elizabeth. Right. I was just saying her name is Elizabeth. That's. I'm not correcting you. I'm just telling you the name. Okay. And the birth of the <laughs> alien baby. And oh, the second so baby. Remember, Norm. Yes, I remember all those moments, and of course, you know. um, the old man from the monster squad was the old man who knew about these visitors. Um, and Abraham. Uh, well, right. But he was, well, I don't remember the names. I mean, it's been well, so you long. should look how much of it. I remember though, even Dude, you had the doll and I don't. And we're, I just called it. It's not a doll. It's an action figure. It's a collectible. Well, it's a collectible. It's an action figure. It's about the size of a Ken doll though. And, um, so, of course, that there were these parallels in V. There were so many parallels 
between, you know, World War II and slavery and just all persecution and the, you know, the Gestapo and the, and the, and the communist, the, the scare word version of communist and, you know, dictators and, and all that stuff. It was all great stuff. And, uh, yes, I did love the, I read the excitement too of uh, the butterflies when you saw that special thing. Uh, I, it was on ABC. I, I remembered it to be on NBC, but wasn't it? NBC. It was, it was NBC. It was yeah. NBC. The, yeah. the fever dream of 2009 through 11 was ABC. There we go. So yeah, I, I love the highly recommended. And you know what? It may have those cheesy moments, but definitely those, the miniseries still holds up, uh, greatly. And I'll, there'll be some honorable mentions at the end of some sci-fi properties that, that had reminded me of V, but yeah, V is, is a one in a million thing. That is one thing that does need a reboot, but of course I know the story behind that. Thank you so much, Greg. Now, the one thing that, or not the one thing, but one of the things that I have to say about V was it had such a great who's who of eighties culture. I mean, in the beginning, you had, um, well, Mark Singer, who is of Beastmaster fame, who, I mean, who, who of that time had not seen Beastmaster at least 10 times? I mean, that was, I, it, it was such a, it was such a fantastic Conan ripoff that, you know, they added into it. And then you see Mark Singer and you're like, Oh, okay. It's this guy. And then the, the, the girl from Poltergeist. You well, know, no, she uh, she wasn't in it. Well, she, was she was supposed to be in it. She yeah, she, she died. Yeah, she died. She's in one scene uh, from the yeah. back when uh, the ship first comes in. She's standing next to Daniel. Right. So I mean, it was it was just like you know, like she was supposed to be it, you know. And then you know you're gonna bring in Michael Ironside, who is just you know everything '80s. I mean, he was he's always gonna be. He was in so much stuff, but it's like Starship Troopers is like like one of the big things for me and him, uh, for for him in it with me. And uh, but you know, and he 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 was always that same kind of guy, always like that tough guy who will kill anybody. But then there's always I mean, he was the uh, behind him. He was the trainer uh, of of the Roxy crew and the next Karate Kid. Yep, yep. So yep. You know, perfect casting yeah. there. Yeah, he's all. Yeah, he's all. He's always like the bad guy, but maybe a good guy. But no, 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 no. He's a bad guy. And, um, uh, um, he, what's the movie with uh, Christian Bale though, where he got really skinny? He he uh, he actually was machinist. a pretty the machinist. He was a pretty decent guy in that. So, he even yeah. smiled a lot. Yeah, it was weird. Yep, he mean, stepped out and, of his comfort he, zone and smiled. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he actually had more than one dimension. Um, but it was and and the thing that was, I mean, and V was. It was great, but at the same time, it, it really obviously pulled from a, a lot of, a lot of themes of around that time. I mean, obviously it was, you know, uh, you know, overt, you know, government takeover while lying to people. It was obviously people being subversive because they were just trying to maintain freedom. The, you know, the Nazi parallels were ridiculous. I mean, they literally had a V youth. You know, they recruited the youth onto their side. And it, it was just, you couldn't get any. I mean, they even had just one of the main characters in the guy 
in in the group was like somebody's like father or grandfather that had literally survived the Holocaust. And he's like, can't you see what they're doing? So it was like there was so much of that that was blatant to it. And it was a little more uh, not necessarily relevant, but closer to our hearts because it had just happened like 40 something years ago. So it was like within a generation span of that time. And now it's just but but now it's just aliens doing, it, you know, and and it, it was just it it always made you the feeling I always got with it was, you know, oh, you know, you're, you're going to be these, uh, you know, subversive rebels. And of course, you know, Star Wars was still hot at the time. And in this one, you're like, oh, being a rebel doesn't just mean you're going to fly around in a cool spaceship and shoot laser guns. It means like, you know, you're going to have to you know, hide your true feelings and possibly have someone that you loved all your life betray you and, you know, have you horribly sacri- like murdered. And like, it definitely brought a darkness to sci-fi that you hadn't seen a lot before that, at least in that public of a venue. So it was definitely worth seeing it. I think as an aside, the laser guns were really a cool design. So that was, that was fun. And of course, with many other things that are, shall we say, uh, German inspired, the uniforms were kind of cool. So, you know, you know, going to say you, you agree with the ideology, but, you know, you know, costume design is costume design. And, uh, you know, and, and then, of course, the iconic scene of Diana unhinging her jaw to eat a jerk, uh, eat a, I think it was a guinea pig. It was a guinea pig. Yeah, that, that yeah, that, that was like that if you ever watch that show you're never ever gonna forget that you know one particular thing so it it was always v was definitely um something groundbreaking something that coalesced a lot of different things into one and it, it was definitely like greg was saying it was event television and you know and it wasn't incorrect for being that it definitely brought a lot to it and then I want to add in something that Greg uh, commented, which I can't believe I forgot. Robert England, Freddy Krueger, as like one of the one friendly aliens. It's just amazing to see him in those different roles. And then you go back and you're like, oh, my God, Freddy Krueger was actually like and he's playing like this totally meek, unassuming individual. And you're like, wow, that that's really incredible to see that. Um, so. V is for anybody that hasn't seen it, just watch the original miniseries that was on TV in the eighties and just pretend like the other stuff didn't exist. Well, it's I would I wouldn't go ex- that far. I mean, like the final battle is also a good miniseries worth watching. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, I'll I'll give you that. Don't watch the reboot. It's just it's No, it's no, really stay away not. from the reboot. Just I mean even, yeah. if you want to yeah. continue with those characters from the original V, the weekly series that followed for the nineteen episodes, I believe, it's you know, it, it is what it is. It uh, it it forgets where it came from. If you want it to stay where it came from, read the the novels that came out. There were a series of books that came out that were really good. Well, some of them were really good. Some of them were, uh, wow, I can't believe and the the last episode of the show is better than this book. But for the most part, the novels were pretty good. Um, the comics were fun and also had a much better storyline than what we got on the weekly series. But I kind of agree with you. If you're going to, like, if your time is limited, just watch the five parts of the miniseries, both miniseries, and maybe read one of the books. All right. Um, okay. So now I want to, 
I want to move into one of my suggestions, which was also shared by some of the other members. So I want I want to talk about Firefly, possibly one of the most fun and lovable sci-fi series that got the worst treatment from the people that produced it. A series that should have had six, seven series of it and didn't even get a full single. Well, okay, six seasons in a movie. That's, you know, that's, that's the way it's got to go according to community. That was, I mean, so well done. Fired on all cylinders for every episode. Like you didn't, there was not a bad episode of Firefly. Like out of, out of all of them, there were some that were sillier than others. That were some that had a little less to them, but there wasn't a single one that was bad. And, and every lovable sci-fi series has one that eh, that that was that was not a good episode. And maybe it's just because there were, maybe because there there's just a such a. Uh, you know, they had so few episodes, but, um, so what I want to do is I'm going to hand this over to Sean real quick. I want him, him to give us just like a quick overview of what Firefly was. And then basically it's going to be me and him and Holly that are just going to go through this and just be like really sniveling fanboys about how much we love this show. And you're uh, and you're gonna hate all of us for it. But I I, I want Greg to give a uh, uh, Greg's got something to say real quick. My yeah, my only connection to Firefly is that I saw Ron Glass in a T-Mobile store in L.A. Now proceed. All right, Sean, go. Okay, so here we are. It's the year twenty-five something. These these planets that were terraformed got uh. It's kind of the, these planets that the Enterprise wouldn't even pass over and give a second thought to. These are like the outer rim of the outer rim people. And then you've got a ship and you've got a captain who's kind of got like a Han Solo vibe to him. And you got his first mate and she's got kind of a Han Solo vibe to her. And then you got the pilot who's really, really funny, but he's not a Chewbacca kind of guy. Eh, a little bit of a Han Solo sense of humor. Just a little bit, right? Um. He's a spear cleaner. We can say that. Can we say that? So it's pretty much it's a Western in space on the outer rim where the Enterprise wouldn't even bother checking on them. Um, Jane, it's kind of as if Han Solo fell down the stairs and bumped his head a lot, quite a lot. I don't know how to describe this without just like going really, really deep. So what I'll say is if you haven't watched Firefly, and you call yourself a sci-fi fan, stop calling yourself a sci-fi fan until you watch Firefly. It's that simple, folks. It's that simple. And, you know, and, and I know, like, Whedon, the way he treats his cast, not a good human being. Not a good human being at all. Separate the artist from the asshole and just enjoy yourself some really good television and a really good movie. I actually saw the movie first. So the second time I saw the movie, I was kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to watch this show and see where it comes from. But just it's it's how many hours of your life? Eleven hours of your life. That's the Lord of the Rings extended trilogy. So don't watch that for the fifty-first time. Watch Firefly and Serenity instead. Duh. Well done. And I don't know about that. I could have done better. Okay. Well, what I'm basically saying is, I, I want I want Dan Holly to go first because I could vomit forth so much about this show 
because it's so near and dear to me. But I, I want Dan to go first because I just I'm, I'm going to almost say everything everybody else has to say. So I, I want him to get first dibs. Dan. Oh, sure. Just rush me. <laughs> so first off, Fox absolutely screwed the pooch with airing it a completely out of order uh, B in the Friday night death spot. Um, I mean, it, it didn't even really have a chance when it is, uh, it's, it's witty, it's heartfelt, the found family, the, you know, I, I mean, you know, Joss Whedon's known for the witty dialogue, but it, there's just something extra in Firefly. I mean, it's so quotable. The characters are so likable. I mean, to the point where, where, where even, even the ship itself is a character in itself is such an important part of the show. You, you know, you, even to the point the cast preferred to hang around at the dining room set of Serenity rather than in their green room or in their dressing rooms. When they weren't shooting on that particular piece, that's where you could find the cast. And even to this day, every single cast member waxes about their love for that show and they're still close and they're still, you know, and it, it it just was, I'm sad we didn't get more of it, but I'm afraid there would have been a decline in quality and it wouldn't necessarily be as special as it is with the limited amount we got of it. That's called the Boom Comics. Boom yeah. Comics series is garbage. Continue. I'm sorry to interrupt you. The, I just wanted to tell the, you the, that. The novels are pretty decent. I don't know if you've the read novels them. novels are good. I've, They're I've good. En- They're good. I've enjoyed the novels. They. I feel like they capture the feeling pretty well of... Uh, you know, what could have been. Um, but I mean, you know, it's, it's literally cowboys in space. I mean, there is, I mean, th- to the point where there is a, you know, a chase on horse, well, not a chase, but what chase, I guess, on horseback in the, what should have been the pilot episode. I mean, there's gunfights, there's, you know, there's, there's a very stereotypical Western brothel, you know, it, it's just, I don't know. It's heists, it's hostage situations, it's if you like sci-fi, take that with the, the you know, 13 hours of your life did we figure that out <laughs> or whatever it happens to be. Just go watch Firefly. That's that that's all I can leave and I could probably go into in depth because I've seen it beginning to end. I don't know, I can't count how many times. It's it's my comfort show when I am stressed out, when I am, you know, you know, when, when I need something that just, you know, and, and as much as Star Trek is my background show, Firefly is my, that's my comfort food. That's my piece of chocolate cake in television form. That's, I mean, that, that speaks so deeply to me just because you watch this show and we're gonna, we're gonna go to, we're going to go to another series, but I find that has a similar basis. And I find part of one of the reasons which, you know, it's, it's tenuous at best, but one of the reasons that has me gravitate towards Star Trek more is that Star Trek, at least at some point, specifically with Next Generation, even though it was just a lot of nonsense words, at least tried to ground itself in some kind of logical technology. That something happened because of some technological reason. There was some kind of basis for it. You could show a proof through basic physics, things like that. Firefly 
seems like this is what would have happened if this type of situation were real. You would have these colonization ships that would go off and land a big population on some mud ball that was only inhabitable because the atmosphere was appropriate. And then because the, you know, base society or the base federation that they belong to didn't have enough money to follow up on them or didn't care to follow up on them or because it wasn't part of their, you know, core, uh, ideas to follow up on them just that yeah you know we're going to go out and colonize all these planets but now you're on your own so now you got all these colonies that are growing up on these frontier lands very much making it a western and you can see they have remnants of technology of the ships or the initial landings of what they were left off with but now they're living it like 1800s level of technology but you know one guy who happens to be the richest or one of the main descendants of the guys that came off the ship, well, he has a laser gun. And now he's in command of this whole land because, you know, well, we have uh, spears and like black powder, but he's like, eh, I'm just going to shoot you all with a laser gun and I have a hovercraft, you know, and everybody else is mining mud. It's, it's just, it's, it's so great that it's very much the human condition you know, just multiplied many, many times. And, and, and it's, it's just great how when you say the whole idea, when you specifically speak about Mal Reynolds, who's Nathan Fillion's character, who, I mean, if it wasn't, if it wasn't for this episode, this show, Nathan Fillion would not be the actor who he is today. Like people love Nathan Fillion. And if only because of this show and because he was so good, at, good at it. And Nathan Fillion was the Han Solo that was supposed to be Han Solo, because I know there's a lot of Han Solos in this, but he was the Han Solo, much like Andor was the Han Solo who was supposed to be Han Solo, that he's, you know, he's this, you know, he, he's a guy, he grew up in the nothing and, you know, he decided to devote himself to this one cause and the cause failed and now he's just going to make it by and quite and and i hate to bring the i i hate to bring the s war the curse word s wars into this but you know he's the guy that as andor did he he'll do whatever the hell he has to do he'll kill anybody if he needs to get by I mean, like in, in the beginning of Serenity, or actually even it's one one of the episodes, they're, you know, kind of escaping from this one town. And there's this one guy that one is one of their allies. And all of the Reavers, which are like these crazy, like zombie, insane maniacs that, you know, you find out later who they are. They're all like eating this guy alive. And the guy's like, help me, save me, help me. And so he just like shoots the guy dead in the chest and they're like damn what why didn't you kill him we could have saved him he's like no no no. i i i I did i I did did the right thing by him yeah that was dennis that was dennis from always sunny oh oh, see and and now so many people in these shows that like go on to other yeah it was great and it was and then that carries along to star trek that picard did that when the board took over and one of the guys are getting assimilated and he's like saving me 
and he just phases him right in the heart. And he's like, that was one of your guys. And he's like, I, I, I did the right thing by him. It's just, and he's, and under multiple situations, like, I love the part. Um, I'm trying to think whether it was one of the last episodes of this. It wasn't the last episode of the series. It was in Serenity when they have the, not the bounty hunter, the special operative who's coming after them. And he's sitting down and he's like, look, and he's trying to be, you know, control the men, not control the mentally, but trying to, you know, be spy, talk to them and influence them. And he's like, I come to you peacefully, unarmed. And he's like, unarmed. He's like, yes, good. And he just shoots him right in the chest, you know, just because Malcolm Reynolds is not a good man. He, he is all right, but he's got a good heart. He's. Right. At his basis, he's good, but he'll just, he'll do whatever it takes. And it's just, it's one of the great things. And you can see that that carries through. And that's why, like, Zoe is like his second. Because look, they were, and, and that's why the whole thing, they add into it, the Old West. And then you get into that parallel of, you know, the, uh, of the Civil War. And you got that there, you know, the rebels against the established Federation. But and that one big line where he's like, where they're like, well, you know, you were part of. They call them brown coats, which I'm not so happy about that relationship to them being brown shirts because it wasn't the same thing at all, even close. But just the idea that uh, somebody says to him, "Well, you know, you were on the losing side," and Malcolm's like, "Yeah, losing side. Not convinced it was the wrong side." You know, so, and it just, and then it brings into larger aspects of, you know, fascism versus freedom versus, you know, it's just, there's so much that they put into it. And to only have that few episodes, and then you bring in, you know, you know, engineering of psychic people. There's so much in this show that, again, I guess to encapsulate it into one thing, I'll repeat that everyone said, watch Firefly. And if you do not watch Firefly, I, I would question your devotion to being a sci-fi fan. There's a special hell for people like you that say they like sci-fi and won't watch In Firefly. In my defense, I'm a Star Trek and fan. Also, a Star Geek Trek the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now, you know, I want to move it over. I want to do a, well kind of a radical change but also somewhat along some of the same lines i want to turn it over to dj nick because he wants to talk about the alien franchise and there's a lot of similarities to firefly and the alien franchise like a a lot when you think about it and there's a couple of things i like about the alien franchise that a couple of people really hated but it moves over into a genre i love so nick Give us, give us a, 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 you can't go over the Alien franchise quick, but do the best you can. I will definitely do my best. I will first off open by saying it is probably Ridley Scott's greatest creation. I mean, he is a fabulous director, but the fact of literally coming up with a concept like Alien and pairing up with that genius of art that is Giga, you know you have a marriage literally made in heaven when it comes to to something as special as this. And I will die on the hill defending both Prometheus and Covenant, folks. I have loved every single entry in this for so many reasons, and I'll try to keep this as brief as possible because it encapsulates so many themes that are, once again, incredibly relatable. 
You have the horror and fear factor. Of course, the franchise is known for its intense horror elements. The fear of the unknown, claustrophobia, and the terror of being hunted by this relentless and highly adaptable alien creature. You have so many of the films being set in isolated environments like spaceships or space stations or remote planets, which emphasize the themes of isolation and confinement and the feeling of being trapped with a deadly predator. You have corporate greed and machinations, the recurring theme of the corporate interests, prioritizing profits over human lives, which often lead to disastrous uh, consequences, like the Whalen yutani Corporation is considered one of the most evil corporations in movie and fictional history up there, I think, with, uh, with, with the Umbrella Corporation. And for those who want to get a little bit kinky, you have the gender and sexuality aspect of it all. Because on one side, in the good sense, you have the, uh, the franchise introduced the first strong, resourceful female protagonist, Ellen Ripley. Need I say more? Because she very much challenged the traditional gender role in the sci-fi horror genre. And you also have, as I said, the whole sexual aspect of it with body horror and reproductive symbolism associated with the xenomorphs. And uh, I would I would cl- conclude by saying you also have technology and hubris, where you have the franchise exploring the dangers of advanced technology and human hubris and people tempering with forces they don't understand, which lead to unintended consequences and disaster. And of course, you have the xenomorphs, which are the epitome of evolution. The fact you have an alien creature that can constantly evolve and adapt to its environments and adversaries and it's central to the franchise's portrayal of, of the menace. So it folks who look down on the alien franchise, oh, it's just another horror movie with crazy creatures. There's so much going on in it. And I cannot wait for, for Romulus to come out. My best buddy and I are already uh, getting ready to buy our tickets once we start to go see the premiere. That's how much I love the alien franchise. That's, I mean, so specifically well said. And one of the things that I always feel the alien franchise has which i keep going back to is that uh that distinction of what's called in the genre hard sci-fi the idea that the aspects of science fiction it's not like the wars that shall not be named that it's fantasy it's fairies and it's you know just think about it hard enough and it'll happen it's like no this is the technology these are the weapons we have and here's this thing that's a different type of biology, and we have to figure out how to confront the biology with our technology. That's a real basis of it. It's just always, and that's, you know, a, another thing that we're going to mention later on that just, for me, it's always been the harder aspects of the sci-fi that uh, get it to me. So going to throw it around to everybody. And um, I, I know... Um, uh, Greg, do you got anything to say about the Alien franchise? No, there are films I have to I have to catch up on them. You know, Alien and Aliens were commonplace on uh, HBO, so I saw them, uh, but it was it was too young to appreciate them. So these are films that I do have to catch up on. Okay, so Dan, um, what were your feelings on the Alien franchise? Uh, I I am a huge fan. I love the I love the aesthetic of them. I love the grittiness of them. I I the first one is is one of those films that even at but almost forty years old now or over forty years old now, uh, it holds up so beautifully. Um, it it looks so good. It feels 
again, again, it feels tense. It feels terrifying. Um, the second one is, is a great science fiction action flick more than a horror movie. And I think, you know, they're just, it's such a great franchise and, um, yeah, it's, it's good stuff. All right. So I'm going to, this is another one that I could spend days discussing. So the original alien movie, I didn't watch until many years later because when it initially came out, I was younger and it was known at the time for being basically a horror movie. And I wasn't a big horror movie fan at the time. I was, you know, kind of too delicate to deal with it. And I love sci-fi. And then like I watched the first beginnings of it and I was like, no, no, not going to deal with it. So I actually knew more about the second one, Aliens, before I went back and watched Alien. So Aliens was... I mean, it was one of the, it was one of, if not the best movies of its time. And just like how Nick said, it brought in the whole idea of a strong female protagonist, which you had two of them. So you had Ripley and then you had Vasquez, who like Vasquez was the baddest badass of a group of Marines. I mean, out of all the Marines, she was the toughest out of all of them, you know, and then it was Drake was like her second, right? No, right. And then Drake and her were supposed to be the most badass. And she would like slap Drake in the face and like, you know, disparage him. And you know that she and Drake had something going on, but you know that she was in control. You know that it was Vasquez's game and Drake was along for the ride. She was the alpha in that relationship. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. And, and it was great. And then, and then you get to see, and then Ripley was like, you know, Ripley had already been through it in the first movie. She already bested the alien in the first sense. And then in this one, and I, I, I love it how, um, uh, and now I'm embarrassed. I, I can't remember Kyle Reese's character. Hicks. Oh, Hicks. Hicks. Yes. Yeah, Hicks. Hicks. Yeah, right. Right. How Hicks is basically like, training her like you know you do this and there are short controlled bursts and but before you even see her she already has like so much ptsd she's already a combat veteran even though she hasn't been in combat yet there's a whole other backstory about like how she had a kid before she left for the uh, uh, initial mission that she was on and when she got back Her daughter had already died because she was like 78 years old and because of time dilation and how fast the Nostromo traveled. So she's like dealing with like, you know, her daughter's older than her and dead. She's already seen everybody that she knew died. She she barely made it out herself. And then they put her back into the meat grinder. It, It was just this, you know, just like it's really heavier on a a greater amount of levels than you give it for. And you got to almost, you got to watch aliens for a couple of times before it, it actually strikes you as this was ridiculous. Like what they put this woman through, you know? And then you got like the smarmy corporate guy who is he, and he was like a, a big time comedian at the time. Arthur Burke. To, yeah. 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 And, and, and he was just like such a, like, such an asshole and it's like you know like like she kept saying like like she want everybody wanted to see him die 
It was like the only time you saw someone die in that movie where you're like, okay, no, good, good. You know, let, you know, screw that guy, you know, but it was, and then, you know, you had, um, um, again, finally the first Android in the entire series that you're actually like, Oh, I wanted this guy to be a friend of mine. Like, you know, he, he was one of the first androids that wasn't programmed to betray everybody. And so it's like, you know, you had, you have that whole aspect of, you know, the, the paranoia in it and everybody who's part of the corporation is against you. And it's only you guys or you're going to form your relationships on, on your own. And then you have, um, uh, oh, damn, I'm forgetting everybody's name, but, you know, like, uh, you know, Game Over, man. Hudson! You know, you have Hudson, who's, like, becomes a hero at the end of the movie, that he's the biggest coward, and he's, like, he doesn't care. He's, he goes down fighting. He saves as many people as he can. Even people are trying to save him. I think he even shoves people away so he could go down go down fighting. And And, and what's amazing, he's the tech guy. He's like the computer guy and he's like one of the, like one of the strongest, bravest out of all. And when the cards are down, Hudson's like, screw it. I'm going to die. I'm going to be the last guy on the line in the line of fire. You all get the hell out of here. So it's like, it's, it's such great character development. The spaceship design is great. The drop ship is one of the greatest, you know, uh, you know, airplane spaceship designs that you've ever seen. It's just, it's such a great movie. And now I just want to get real quick into the part that everyone's going to hate me for. So Alien Resurrection, I loved that movie because in its totality, something near and dear to my heart, that was an anime movie. It was, first of all, the Betty, the ship that they flew in, it had these arms that came out and moved around. Those were to me, looked like the same model as these arms that were part of, there was this series called Macross that was later made into this thing called Robotech where they had these F-14 Tomcat fighters that had these thrusters on them that would move around and become arms that had the same design to them. And as soon as I saw them, I was like, same design. But just from the way they muted the colors, the way they had the characters, the way they did the action, it was just the way genetic engineering, everything, it could literally have been an anime movie and you wouldn't have blinked twice. And I think maybe people didn't like it so much because it was just kind of so cartoonish. But I mean, Winona Ryder was in it and um, and now... Don't let anybody hear this because I'm going to get divorced. But my wife knows how what a soft spot I have for Winona. Um, but she was great. It was just it was like a perfect time. Everything was great. You know, the the clone of Ripley was such a badass. You have Brad Dorif being ultimate level Brad Dorif and crying out of one eye, which is what he does in his trademark move. And it was just everything about it. Like, I, I just, I struggled to think of something that was bad about it. And I can't understand why people didn't like it. So um, I, I actually, I, I want to throw it around real, real quick because, and I'm going to dominate this part of the conversation with my idea. Can anybody explain to me why people didn't like this movie? 
So who want, oh, sorry, Sean, go first. There's this thing about Hollywood movies, and it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's an actor or a film, if people hated a movie from an actor or a movie in a series, they're automatically going to hate the next movie. It, it happens. It happened with Sandler a lot, and then you know he just kept living up to that. But everybody's like, "Oh, this last bad movie. You, you made this movie. It was bad. So whatever you have coming out, it's terrible." So people didn't like Alien Three. Once again, I mean, the extended cut of Alien Three gives so much more depth. Um, Rock has complete development instead of just being the the preacher guy. And uh, the Targaryen father, uh, you know, he's great in it. Um, he's just shot a man in public and he wants to confess. So th- the third movie's great. It, I mean, you take the first two Alien movies and you've got like just these are instant classics. Everybody loves these movies for whatever reasons. They love them, but they're just in the zeitgeist. And then the third movie comes along a couple of years later and it's just it's lackluster. It doesn't. Everybody wanted an action movie again, and they didn't get it. So now they've got an action movie, but it's a little on the light side. It's Whedon, so it's got a lot of that Firefly stuff to it. That that crew, the Betty, is the crew of the Serenity, which is pretty cool. Michael Wincott is Mal Reynolds. But people didn't like it because they're getting the action movie, but they hated the movie before it, so they're not going to even bother with this. Didn't Ripley die? What's Ripley doing here? She didn't throw that basketball. Yes, yeah, she did. Hey, is that the guy that's going to be in Sons of Anarchy? Yes, it is. So it, it just wasn't... It's what they wanted, but just not the way they wanted it to be, which is a common thing with movies. Like, oh, hey, cool, I'm getting the sequel. Well, it's not what I wanted it to be, so it's crap. F you. Get a life. That's that's what I have to say. Okay, that was um that was a good compressed version. I, I want to keep it throw it tight. <laughs> no, you you actually would have to keep it concise because again, you know, we're talking about this going into seven hours if we got to talk about all of the disputes. But uh, Nick, uh, what's your opinion on that? I can't but agree with what Sean said in the sense that I think he makes a great point because, you know, off the heels of Aliens, which is very much an action-packed movie, which is very Cameron, you come to David Fincher, another director who I absolutely adore, I mean, he has had his faux pas here and there, but I thoroughly loved what he did with with Alien 3. And then you've got uh, Dejeuner, who does uh, the, the fourth movie, which is completely different. And I think that's exactly it. I think you've set your the bar to where you're like, oh, I want, you know, shooting guns, all this crazy thing. And as soon as something is remotely different from what you expect, it's like if ACDC came out with a ballad, everybody would hate it because they want Highway to Hell all the time. So I think it's the the difficulty of people to adapt to something different from the same group or the same uh, franchise that gave you this, this, and this, you know? So I, uh, I, I really can't really add to what Sean eloqu- eloquently said. It's, it's just the fact, I think it's a, the difficulty of adapting to ex- and, ex- and setting your expectations so high. You're like, oh, it's going to be epic all over again. And then you're like, you're just super disappointed by it. So I guess those are my two cents. Well, and also, you really can't have a great deal of disappointment in any movie that Ron Perlman is. I mean, it's, Agreed. It's, yeah, that, that's just a hallmark of a movie you're going to enjoy. But let's... uh, uh Conan? Oh, oh, okay. All right. All right. No, Conan, the remake of Conan. With, with Momoa, yeah. Not good. Yes, be, please be specific about it. Probably the only movie I've ever stopped within the first 10 to 15 minutes and said, I'll never watch. It's a bit better than Destroyer, but that's, that's another 
it's still a bad movie. Okay. All right. Uh, no, it it is, and I wouldn't know because I I couldn't I couldn't stomach to watch it. So, all right, I'll give you that one as the exception that proves the rule. So, all right, um, Dan Holly, your view on this? I don't know. I liked it. If you don't like it, that's your problem, not mine. <laughs> I liked three. I liked Resurrection. I I don't know. <laughs> That that's about all that I had to do. I I, I got on that one that hasn't been said already. <laughs> all right. So I mean, we're uh, you know, we're getting a bit into the weeds now. We're starting to expand ban- uh, beyond where we went. So um, I'm gonna throw out a few honorable mentions, and we're all gonna go around and do a quick. Each one of these really should be a show into itself. Every single one of these. So I just want to do it really quick. And because, as I have expressed multiple times tonight, I have a, and I will say it in the most obnoxious way I can, I have a penchant for going with the harder sci-fi. Ladies and gentlemen, The Expanse. So now, Mr. Daniel Holly, your opinions upon this incredible series i love the expanse uh i have i finished the the series uh and then i immediately restarted it because there was stuff that i missed in the beginning of the series um i love the i love that there's no magic gravity to it it's all it's gravity in this is thrust based like there's actual like well kind of sort of physics behind you know, it's not gravity plating. It's not gravity field. It's, oh, hey, if the ship is drifting, there's no gravity. I, I also, uh, yeah, the flip and burn to slow down, of course, is, you know, um, and the fact that, that the ships are built like skyscrapers and not like, like naval ships today is, I, I don't know. The whole thing is just, I think it's really cool and it's, it's really well written and, um, the characters are, are just fantastic between Holden and Amos and, uh, Avasarala is just brilliant. And the, the, the one liners that she spits out are, are just absolute brilliance. I mean, when she looks at Holden and says, don't stick your dick in it, it's already been fucked enough. I mean, how can you go wrong with that? So, uh, that's one since it's really recently on my mind because I just finished a third watch through maybe two weeks ago. Um, and I'm actually reading the later books now. Uh, I'm gonna step back because I could probably go on and on and on and on and on and on because it's very fresh in my mind right now. All right. I, I, I share that idea with you, that feeling with you that I can, I mean, again, these, any one of these properties we could spend hours discussing, but I want to throw it on, over to Sean and see, uh, what's his opinion on the expanse. I've never seen it. I've never read the books, but my friend Magnus wrote a book. He spent years writing it. It's called Branded by Fire with a Kindling of Ravens. Awesome sci-fi book. I read that. I loved it. And I was about halfway through it. And like, he was just asking me what my thoughts were. And he mentioned like he had just started watching the expanse and he's like, my God. My book is The Expanse. What what the hell happened? So I guess I've never seen The Expanse or read it, but if you like The Expanse, you should read Branded by Fire with a Kindling of Ravens by Magnus Anton LeKay. All right. <laughs> awesome. Um, I just want to add in. So 
the expanse is one of those that um it's just i i love it when they put these sci-fi series where it's not too far ahead it's not it's not a thousand years it's not 500 years it's it's close future and when you actually look at it when you watch the series all the technology except for you know the uh you know the the alien stuff all the technology is is stuff that exists now it's just a you know an improved version of it because we've had maybe a hundred years to figure it out but everything is so appropriate the way that Everything is so, just like Dan was saying, everything is so physics-based. Half the time, even more than half the time, you see all these ships, they're flying backwards. And it's not because they're flying backwards, it's because they're decelerating to their target. Because the idea is that if you're going to thrust and accelerate toward a target, you need then to decelerate the same amount of time that you're accelerating to get to the target. Otherwise, if you meet that target, Either you will collide with it and turn into goo or you'll just shoot past it at such a quick rate because, you know, inertia is a thing. So and just the idea that you have it's it's well, there are, you know, possibly alien species later, but you have all humans that some live on Earth. Some have colonized Mars. Some have been living in the asteroid belt between Earth and Mars. For generations. So you have people that have been living in minimal gravity for generations. They're six and a half to seven feet tall. They have bird bones. And if you want to torture them, you capture them and then you bring them to Earth or Mars and you don't do anything. You just let them sit in the native gravity of the planet. And it's such a cruel thing to do. It's been outlawed as torture that just to bring one of these people into the gravitational field of a planet is torture because it slowly crushes them. And they've existed in this specific different society that not necessarily they've developed their own language, but they have a a version of specific earth languages that are almost indecipherable. But if you listen to them for about three or four days, it's really just a very severe dialect of earth languages. And the great thing about the series is you don't understand what the hell they're saying in the first few episodes. And by the end of the first or second series, you know what they're saying. Actually, Holly has something to say. Uh, another great thing is, uh, the actress Dominic Tipper who plays, why can I not think of her name off the top of my head? Um, but, um, it, it's fascinating because watching her play the part because she's a belter, but depending on who she is with in the series depends on how the accent comes out. And she plays it so beautifully well when she's with the belters, it comes on much thicker. And then when she's with Holden and the crew, it lightens up and it just, it, 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 it's just such an, um, it's an amazing, you know, piece of acting that she does there. It's just, it's, it's such a great series and they take so many specific things into account. Like whoever was writing this and designing this and just the idea that what it spent like, uh, three seasons. I think it was on sci, uh, like on sci-fi or uh, one of those channels. And then it was going to get canceled because for some reason it didn't have enough viewership. 
And then whether you like the guy or not, I'll give everybody their own opinions. But Bezos apparently was a great fan of the series. And then Amazon funded like the next three series of this show. And so it it was just it was just one of the best sci-fi shows for those people that like things that try to be technologically based and you know like to be more scientifically based than just you know some kind of fantasy crap um so you know we we're uh we've already met our limit i i want to give an honorable mention to something that you know if we're going to do or when we will do possibly a part two to this kind of you know it's not just for trekfest anymore um, maybe something people to think about um, Blade Runner, which goes right into all of this hard sci-fi action. And then, which is, again, something we could do an entire season about Dune, which is not the movies, but the books. But we can talk about the differences between the two. Um, these are incredible films. A lot of things we've brought up here have been in fantastic. Each one of these could be their own thing. I keep saying that. And, you know, I, I, I hate feeling, as Greg said, like I'm cheating on Star Trek. But those of us that are sci-fi fans, we have our compartment of where we put things. And I think the great thing that it brings us back to Trek is it seems to pull aspects of all of these. That it seems it has the technological issue. It has, you know, the, you know, creative, you know, magical, spiritual issue. It has, you know, the things you're never going to discover issue. It has the weird alien thing issue. It just seems to bring everything together, which is another thing why Trek is such a great sci-fi prospect or um, that it manages to bring together so many different aspects and meld it into an enduring thing that that is so meaningful to so many people. And as you can see, is it's just going to keep on going, you know, at least until it gets to the 2300s and everybody starts saying, well, you know, they were wrong about this. We didn't have we didn't have transporters until 2550. So those guys were wrong. But look, we already haven't had the eugenics wars and that was supposed to be 1996. So, you know, we'll talk about that in another 50 years when we're all here. So I want to say thanks a lot for everybody joining us tonight. Our guests, DJ Nick, Sean Faust, Dan Hulley, Greg Varab. Mm -hmm. And what I would also like to say is thank you all for watching. I'm very, very happy to have you all staying with it, with us and listening to us. What I would like to say is that we have fortunately been able to take contributions. And what we would like to tell all of you is that you can contribute to us as little as a dollar, as much as $5, as much as $10 per month to be a member. And actually, what would qualify you as a production member of Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast. We thank you for anything that you can contribute to us, you would each contribute to the ongoing survival of our group and the ongoing survival of the content that you enjoy listening to and that we more than enjoy providing to you. 
And we're so thankful that all of you here are listening to us and that all of you here are supporting us. And honest, and honestly, if there's anything else, any subjects you want us to uh, broach, anything you want us to communicate to you, please, please let us know. You can leave us comments. You can send us uh, personal messages. We would love to hear what you have to tell us. And we would love to build on, build on that. So again, thank you so much for listening. We wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't something we enjoyed and if it wasn't something that all of you enjoyed as well. So again, thank you so much. So I want to know where everyone can be found. So let us know about it. Sean Faust, where can we find you? I can be found on the interwebs, generally at Sean Faust Music. Uh, except on the Twitter, six sex Twitter thingy, mababa, majiggy, mahuzum. I am at Sean Faust and I am still raising money for cats. I'm selling my music for cats. One of my, my, my youngest cat has come down with something where his treatment is so expensive that please buy my music because right now the money is going directly to his treatments because I would love to save his life because he's just, just my little man and uh buy any of my music buy all of my music every penny is going to this young man orion the young man that i have dubbed the tg wobbits major tg wobbits of wobbiton um my songs are like a dollar dollar 25 each folks you can afford this how much did you spend on coffee last week trust me you got a buck you got two bucks you spent 75 bucks just for one latte okay you've got it um but yeah Thank you so much. I just, you know, that Sean Faust, Sean Faust music. Thanks a lot, Sean. And I will also encourage everyone, any kind of spare that you can give to the betterment of the situation of cats, do it, do it there. The, I, I don't care if you guys think that they're, you know, uh, not lovable, that they're aloof. They are not. They love us. They're beautiful. They're elegant. And you should everybody go out and adopt themselves a cat, preferably a rescue. Go and get a rescue. You will never get a more lovable companion in your entire life. And I'm talking about me going on with 24 years of having cats. Go and get yourself a rescue, preferably one that's about two to three months old. And then watch how the next 20 years of your life is going to be beautiful with that. So or, thank you very much, Sean. Or and not to contradict you, my friend, not to contradict you, you but you can get an older if one. If, you can get if an you're older at a rescue, rescue, you want to get that older one because everybody's gonna get the younger one, and that's a great thing to do. But you get that older one too, and you're saving their life and you're bettering their life. Just you know what? Adopt, don't shop. Get whatever age you want. Just get it. Get it whatever you want. And don't let the fact don't let the fact that if it's a black cat, there's no such thing as bad luck with a black cat. As a matter of fact, they're most some of the most lovable cats ever. So please just do it. Don't think about it. Just do it. They're easy. Little bit of food on the side. Clean their litter box once a week. You're good. All right. So I want to move it over to Dan. Where can we find you? You know, as a founding member of this podcast, I feel like you shouldn't have to tell people where to find me, but I will anyways. Uh, you can find me on X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it at bland underscore dull underscore don't. And you can find me at Daniel Hully on Facebook if you feel so inclined that is awesome i gotta say guys one of the most 
fun ones that we've done, I mean, just getting to discuss some of our greatest loves has been really, really awesome. And just the idea that we could throw cats in there is, is always great. So again, thanks a lot, guys. Have a great night. And then, Greg, over to you for announcements. Have a good one, everybody. Live long and prosper. Yes. Well, uh, a couple of announcements. Uh, in our outro, you would have where you could find DJ Nick. And in our outro, we do mention Bullshit Hour with John Seymour. But I think it should be mentioned to Undiscovered Podcast listeners that Ken Ragnar has pretty much become a regular over at Bullshit Hour with John Seymour. So check that out. Next week, folks, look, we we are dark next week. We might have a bonus show, so please keep an eye out on our social media if any bonus shows are coming up. But whether they are or they aren't, the next episode in the season is we are going to have a conversation, a, a roundtable discussion on Deep Space Nine, my favorite Star Trek, my personal favorite Star Trek. And joining us, theoretically, Dan Hulley is scheduled to come back and join us for that episode, but also making his debut on Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast in the Deep Space Nine episode, Keith Bliss of Happiness and Darkness, uh, the Superhero Mario Movie Podcast, and The Hour of Comics is Upon Us, is joining us for the very first time only... 14 months since we started, and he was on the shortlist uh, from January 2023. So go figure that out, 14 months. Guys, we're going to hand it over to Dan Martin to tell uh, everybody where you can find the team, and we will see you again on the next episode. Good night, everybody. Woo! Thank you for listening to Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast. Find our team members, Greg Vorob on Facebook, G-R-E-G-V-O-R-O-B On YouTube at Greg Vorob with the G and V capitalized. On X at Greg underscore Vorob. You can also like Greg's acting page on Facebook. Ken Radner on Facebook. K-E-N-R-A-D-N-E-R And on X at KenData2023 with the K and D capitalized. And me, Dan Martin, at Baseman Dan Martin 3700 on YouTube, with the D and M capitalized. And you can also join me on WHMI.com weeknights, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, and Saturday afternoons, 3 to 7 Eastern, Livingston County's own classic hits. Find this podcast on Facebook at the group's Star Trek Fans United and Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast. Like us on Facebook at Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast, on X at STTU Podcast, or shoot us an email to sttupodcast at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to check out our extended family of podcasts, The Five-ish Fangirls, Happiness in Darkness, The Superhero Movie Podcast, Gold Standard, The Oscars Podcast, Bullshit Hour with John Seymour and the Hour of Comics is upon us. Find them all wherever you get podcasts. Thank you once again for listening to Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast and until next time, live long and prosper.